You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't on the Savage Lovecast. If you saw me on Real Time with Bill Maher a week or so ago, during the show, in the, the part that was broadcast on HBO Live, I was wearing a very tasteful Mr. Turk jacket, always Mr. Turk jackets on Bill Maher, with an ITMFA pin. Of course, ITMFA. Impeach the motherfucker already. Every time I go on TV, I like to wear my ITMFA gear and merch. If you saw Overtime on YouTube, the after the show chit chat, I was wearing a black ITMFA t-shirt, much less subtle than my ITMFA pin during the show. But Richard Clark, one of the other guests sitting next to me, he was wearing an American flag lapel pin. Now, they didn't do a close-up of that American flag lapel pin on Richard Clark, but if they had, you would have seen that it was an ITMFA American flag lapel pin. A beautiful, tasteful, little enameled American flag lapel pin like the politicians wear, but with ITMFA at the bottom of it, knocked out in bright white letters. We've been selling ITMFA merch, Impeach the Motherfucker Already merch, at itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com for a few months now. All proceeds from sales go to the American Civil Liberties Union, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. And we have sold enough t-shirts and buttons and hats and coffee mugs to donate Tens of thousands, hundred thousand dollars to those three organizations. And we are launching this week, today, Tuesday, a new effort, which is to flood the halls of Congress with the same tasteful American flag lapel pins that Richard Clark was wearing on real time with me last week. We want to send a message to every member of the House and to every senator that we want this motherfucker impeached already. So if you go to itmfa.org right now and you click on send itmfa lapel pins to Congress, you will be taken to a special page where you can look up your member of Congress and you can send them a couple of very tasteful ITMFA lapel pins. And you can also send a message that will be included with the lapel pins that you send to your congressman or your senator explaining to them why you want this motherfucker impeached already. Let Congress know that we are out here and that we are paying attention. Now, we don't expect to see one of our tasteful American flag enamel ITMFA lapel pins on Marco Rubio or John McCain or Ted Cruz. But I hope and I think that it's possible we could wind up seeing an ITMFA lapel pin on Maxine Waters or Ted Lieu or maybe even Adam Schiff if we flood Congress, if we flood their offices with ITMFA lapel pin. So go to itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com. Send a couple of lapel pins to your member of Congress or your senator or both along with a note explaining why you want them to fight harder against Trump to impeach Trump already and help raise funds for the American Civil Liberties Union, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project, three very important organizations that are leading the resistance to Donald Trump and his horrifying agenda. All right, coming up on today's show, Buck Angel is here in the Magnum. He's the man with the pussy, trans rights activist, public speaker, all-around kick-ass guy on the Magnum, which you can subscribe to at www.savagelovecast.com. And on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, all coming up on today's show. 
Hi, Dan. Um, this is a 23-year-old straight girl on the West Coast, and I'm calling because I found this really cute guy on Tinder, and we're both doing the same line of work, which is uh, being in academia. Anyway, this guy's super great. He's really funny, super, super smart. He's older than me. Um, we hit it off on Tinder, and then we met up. We had been texting back and forth because he went on a trip, and we'd been texting, like sexting a little bit. Finally, we went on a date, and when we hooked up, he couldn't get it up, basically, and he claimed it was the whiskey. He tried to do oral. I don't, I've never come through oral, so we just kind of went to sleep, and he said, we'll just try again in the morning. In the morning, we wake up, uh, we try to fuck, and again, it didn't work. And I, he got into the shower, I kind of freaked out, put on clothes, kind of gave a lame excuse, and left. And now I don't know what to do. I kind of asked him if it had something to do with maybe any medication that he was taking. And he said that uh, he sort of gets this problem because of his sleep insomnia um, or like sleep deprivation. And now I guess I'm torn between sort of like sex is a really important part of my relationships and I don't know if this is that thing where like we're sexually incompatible and I should just not waste my time and should just keep looking for someone who can give me what I need or if maybe I'm like jumping the gun and should give this guy a chance because he's written everything else except that I really need dick. Anyway, uh, I would really love your thoughts on this. I have a hunch that sleep deprivation is not the issue. I get letters frequently from men who have this problem the first time they go to bed with a woman, the first time they're going to be intimate with her, the first time they're expected, the pressure's on, they're expected to bring the dick. And that nervousness deflates the dick. It prevents them from bringing the dick in the condition that you would expect a dick to be in at that moment. And you obviously require the dick to be in at that moment. And it's less of a problem as the relationship goes on, as they become more comfortable with that person. But to admit to that, to admit to I was nervous, well, that's kind of weak. It's kind of emasculating. And he's already, in a sense, been emasculated in front of you by his inability to produce the erection that you expected and wanted. And he's less likely to cop to that. Look, it's just nerves. I'm just nervous. And the more time I spend with you and the more time we spend being intimate and rolling around, the less nervous I'm going to be and – my dick is going to spring to life and spring to action. I get that question from men all the time. And to a man, they never admit to the woman that they're having this problem with or to someone that they're about to have this problem with because they're about to go to bed with someone for the first time. That nervousness, nerves, that this weakness, this emasculating weakness afflicts them. And so not to expect the hard dick the first couple of times we have sex, that we will do the other sex stuff that's also fun. You say you don't get off from oral. That's legitimate. Well, what about toys? What about vibrators? What about fingers? What about other ways? What about grinding on each other? What about other ways for you to get off and be intimate with it? Take the pressure off his dick in the moment, even that first moment. And often a guy's dick who's having this issue, the nervousness issue, his dick will arrive because the encounter is no longer hinging on whether he has the hard dick. The pressure's off. The expectations are different. And there's the dick. Or it may just be the second or third or fourth time that you guys roll around and mess around that his dick is like, all right, I'm cool. I'm less nervous now. She likes us. Let's make this happen. It's also possible that he has erectile dysfunction and because he's young like you, he feels really ashamed. He feels ashamed of himself and he is unwilling to discuss this with a doctor. 
you really like him. If he was an asshole, if he was a throwaway dude, if he was a fuckboy, I wouldn't encourage you to stick with him. But you really like him. He brings so much else to the table that you want in a man. He may be able to bring the dick that you want to the table and the kitchen floor and the bedroom and the backseat of the car and wherever else you guys are going to fuck in the future if you give him a chance. And I think it's worth giving him a chance because of all the other shit he brings to the table. You've obviously already had a freak out on him. You've directly addressed this problem with him, which probably has ramped up his nerves a bit. But I think you should keep talking to him about it. Like, what's the issue? What's the real deal? You say sleep deprivation. You're too sleepy. You can't get it up. Okay. Is that, is it nerves? Have you talked to your doctor? Is it erectile dysfunction? Is this something that in other relationships has worked out in time? Open up to me about it and see what he says. But my hunch, nerves. Get so many letters from guys who say they're nervous that first time. All the expectations are there. All the pressure is there. But the second or third time, things kick into gear. Seems to me that if you like him, Everything else is great. You might want to stick around at least for a second and third time to see what happens. Hi, Dan. Straight male. Early 40s. I had a question about my marriage. Uh, married for about 20 years now. We have lost our connection. Don't have sex too often. But uh, the biggest problem is she's gained weight over the years. And uh, I guess it's they kind of turned me on this one problem. The second part of the problem is she's always on her phone playing games. Uh, I can't really connect or talk to her at all. And uh, it's just really becoming a problem. Like the phone is the priority. I guess my question is, uh, should I feel bad about being so negative about her weight? I mean, she's, she says stuff to me before in the past, you know, very discreetly and, uh, I really don't take too much sense to it, so I, you know, maybe I can do it to her, you know. But uh, we'd love to hear your opinion about this. In your mid forties, together twenty plus years, that's a long, long term relationship. That's the passage of a great deal of time, and time has a way of shredding us all. Bodies age, bodies change. The person you're with, the exterior that attracted you at first, that's going to morph over the years into something very different. And you may be less sort of just baseline physically attracted to your mate as time goes on. But in theory, and the hope is that there will be a strong emotional connection that grows over the years and that helps people who are less physically attracted to each other remain emotionally attracted to each other. And they are then still able to engage with each other physically, to be intimate, to have sex, to have desire to have sex, to connect in that way. And it's not about the live, lean 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old you married. It's about the human, three-dimensional, much-loved, beloved person that you've been with for 20 or 30 years that you are connected to in a way and on a level that transcends appearance. But it requires that emotional connection to bridge that gap. It really does. And if all your wife is interested in doing is looking at her phone all night, then I don't think you can be blamed for not feeling that attraction to her despite how time has changed her body and your body as well. You can go to your wife. You have to use your words. You have to have a difficult conversation with your wife. It doesn't start that conversation with, oh, look at you. Ugh, I can't. It starts with, we both have to take better care of ourselves. I've gained weight. You've gained weight. Let's eat better. Let's get out of the house. Let's go places. Let's walk. Let's do things. Maybe let's join a gym like all the gays, maybe. And let's put our fucking phones down. 
and look at each other and talk to each other. Now, I say this as someone who himself is in a long 20-year-plus relationship. It helps to have things to talk about. When, you know, we talk, people talk about reconnecting. People talk about you know, putting the phones down and looking at each other. And then they're like, what? What? And they have nothing to say to each other because they understand and they know each other. They know their relationship. They know the ins and outs of it. You have to, as a couple at the 20-year mark, have other shit to talk about. You have to go to movies. You have to go places. You have to do things. You have to read books. You have to have grist that you can bring to the relationship. You have to have opinions. You have to have thoughts. And those thoughts and opinions aren't going to be about each other and about the relationship. You don't talk about and process your relationship endlessly at 20 years. At 20 years, you have processed that shit. There's no more processing that you could possibly do. You know each other inside and out. So you have to know other things together. You have to get out there in the world and do things together. Maybe do other people together every once in a while too. And then you will have some shit to talk about, some shit to process, some shit to connect around. All that said, if your wife ain't willing, if she's not willing to put down the phone, if she's not willing to prioritize your emotional connection in the hopes of reestablishing a sexual connection, there's no workaround for that. Takes two to tango, as they say. And if she won't put the fucking phone down and get up and dance, then you're going to have to ask for accommodations or you're going to have to do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. If indeed you want to stay married, you're going to have some other choices to make. As I like to say, we show our loyalty with more than our dicks. And as Esther Perel likes to say, there are more ways to betray your spouse than just physically, than just sex. Neglect, contempt, taking someone for granted. Those are also betrayals. And if you're being betrayed in a way that makes it impossible for you to stay, you should go, whether that's infidelity or whether that's just neglect and contempt. Hi, Dan. I have a question about emotional abuse. Um, I have had a threesome with my friend and my boyfriend a couple of times over the last few years. And although we all have a very... Um, healthy and great chemistry in the bedroom. It doesn't seem to be that way outside of the bedroom. Uh, We cut off any kind of sexual interaction with one another. Um, After there was some feelings involved, she told me she wanted more. I've been with my boyfriend for years and I just wasn't interested in anything like that. And at the end of the day, my boyfriend just doesn't really like her in general because he feels like she definitely wants more from me, and he can see that. It's very obvious. Um, she is a friend to me. I can talk to her about things that are going on in my life, and we can text and call each other, and everything's great. The moment we hang out with each other, she is pressuring me constantly to have sex, to kiss her, to touch her. Um, we've had multiple uh, conversations about how I'm not interested in that. I can't hang out with you because you make me feel... Um, pressure to do things, and it just, it's really uncomfortable. I stopped talking to her for a little bit, um, but recently we've reconnected, and I, I, I told her, you know, flat out, listen, this is not, there's nothing going to happen. We're not going to have sex with each other. My boyfriend's not going to have sex with you. It's not going to happen. Um, I recently had a tragedy in my life, and I was in mourning, and she came over unannounced, and while I'm sitting there crying is pushing me to have sex with her, touching me in ways I don't want to be touched. I keep brushing her off. She tells me that she is, you know, sitting there with a toy inside her because I excite her so much. 
And, you know, it, it's easier for me to be uncomfortable than to start a conflict with somebody. Um, she got mad at me and stormed out of the house. She's still trying to hang out with me. She's still asking me, you know, when's the next time we're going to go out. She would love to see me, take me out for drinks. Um, I've been kind of ignoring her, but I feel bad. I don't know what to do. I really just feel like she has no intention of being my friend and only wants to have sex. I, I hope that's not the case. I don't know what else I can do. And to be honest, because of the way she's acting after I had a loss in my life, I'm scared that if I tell her that I don't want to do anything with her, there might be repercussions. She knows where I live, where I work. Um, and I just got a new car, so I'm worried she might ruin that. Listening to your call all the way to nearly the end, what was running through my head was, if a man was doing this to you, you would perceive it to be the threat that it is. You wouldn't feel bad about driving that person out of your life because that person, that man, had violated you repeatedly, sexually assaulted you. And then I get to the end of the call and clearly you perceive this person to be the threat that she is. You're worried that she's going to vandalize your house or show up at your house and do something crazy or blow up your car, or go to your office and make a scene. This isn't a friendship. This is a hostage situation. You are afraid of this person. This person is menacing you and violating you and your person and your stated limits and boundaries and, and asks and not paying attention to the no that you're giving her over and over and over again. She's practically sexually assaulting you. It's restraining order time. It's end the friendship time. It's park the car three blocks away if you're worried about her turning up at your house time. It's involving your boyfriend. It's bringing in the cavalry. Not that your boyfriend is the white knight who's going to save you, but pulling in friends and letting them know what's been going on so that they can run interference for you and be a buffer for you. If she shows up at your office, if she shows up at your home, if she approaches you in public when you're with other people, you're going to need them to not hang back because, oh, there's your old friend, but to stay right there and make sure that it don't get ugly and be the sort of photo negative of a wingman, not to help you land somebody, but to get that person to fuck away from you. Your friend is toxic. Don't brush her off anymore. Don't try to de-escalate. You need to perhaps escalate here because de-escalation and attempts to brush off and, and give her the hint, is that's not working because she keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. You need to terminate the friendship and you need to tell her why and you need to go get a restraining order against her if she violates your request to leave you the fuck alone, not to show up at your house, not to call. Not to email, not to text, not to snap, not to be lurking on your Instagram, nothing. You want no contact. Make it explicit, put it in writing, and if she keeps contacting you, go get a restraining order. You're afraid of her. She is scary. Cut her out, cut her off. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old um, cis straight woman living in a small town for the summer before I finish up my last year of grad school in a city that's about three and a half hours away. Um, and my question concerns the fact that I uh, would, it's kind of like an ethical, can I fuck him question. So I, I the, the person that I'm interested in is my neighbor. Um, he lives downstairs from me. He's 37 years old. So there's a little bit of an age difference there. And 
you know, we have kind of a flirtatious friendship that's been developing over the course of this summer. And my, you know, I don't have a problem with the age difference. Doesn't seem like he does. But the thing for me is that when I think about it, like, on a grander scale, I do have a problem with the age difference in that, like, I hate Woody Allen and I hate Woody Allen movies. And I just like hate the idea of an older man, like fucking a younger woman to avoid women of his own age group. So I'm just wondering, am I enabling that if I kind of continue to pursue this like flirtatious relationship that could end up uh, becoming sexual. Um, and I realize that you're kind of a weird person to ask about this because you're a gay man, not a woman who's in her, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But I, you know, I just kind of wonder like, what's kind of my ethical obligation here considering my politics? I'm going to crawl out on a limb here and say that I don't think there's anything wrong with a 37 year old man flirting with a 24 year old woman who welcomes his flirtatious attentions and reciprocates those flirtatious attentions. I think there's obviously a power dynamic differential at work when you're talking about men and women and women are socialized to defer to men and it's on men to make sure that the woman that you're flirting with isn't just blowing sunshine up your ass in hopes that you're not going to be crazy or violent but actually is flirting back, that it is actually – reciprocated and not just tolerated with a pained smile on her face that you misread because you're a man. And there's a power differential with that kind of age gap. But mid-20s, mid-30s, technically mid-20s, mid-30s, 24, almost 25. He's 37, almost 35. You round him down and round you up. It's a 10-year age difference. There's a lot of lovely lasting relationships out there with that kind of age difference. Woody Allen and his wife, Soon Yi, that's a 35-year age difference. What's creepy about that relationship isn't so much the age difference. I can cite relationships with age differences as wide that seem to be happy and functional. What's creepy about it is Soon Yi was Mia Farrow's adopted daughter when Mia Farrow and Woody Allen were long-term romantic partners and Allen had a kind of quasi-parental role in Soon Yi's life. That's what makes that fucking shit creepy. Not necessarily the age difference. I think people sort of mush those together and just wind up being equally creeped out by the age difference and the adopted daughter of your romantic partner thing when actually they're different by degrees and scale. I think you're overthinking this. Good and decent people are careful about who they flirt with and when and where and how they flirt with them and go make an effort to ascertain that that person welcomes their flirtatious attentions. It isn't about some arbitrary standard around who is allowed and who isn't allowed and what age and what gender and whatever else. It's about common sense. It's about common decency. It's about courtesy. It's about consideration. And you can't create a world where there's more of that just by refusing to flirt with someone that you're attracted to because of the principle of the thing. So stop overthinking this. If you're into this geriatric, aged, decrepit 37-year-old man and he's into you and you guys are flirting with each other, that exists in its own little erotic zone of permissible because you both enjoy it and you both want it and you both can go for it. You're not complicit in other people behaving badly when you two are treating each other well. And then uh, West Coast 20s straight uh, male and I'm um, having some issues in um, in Loveland over here, um, man. So 
I've been striking out pretty hard at university and uh, it's like four girls now where I've pursued them and things seem to be going well, you know, and then like it gets to a certain level where I'm trying to like make something happen, like let's go out, this kind of stuff. And and nothing ever materializes from it. Um, Some say, oh, they're too busy. Oh, they're not in the right place right now, which I take for code as you're just not interested. And that's why I don't understand why you showed interest in the first place. Yeah. And then it's like others, like at least one of them was like uh, saying that she was totally interested in it. Just like after the semester was over and, you know, once summer came, she'd be a lot more free and uh, that she'd be, be uh, totally down. And then when it came, came around, she just never really seemed interested. And then I found out she was like dating somebody else. And so it was like, okay, cool. Thanks for leading me on uh, in that one. Um, but it just seems generally like a theme, like women are not even interested and I'm I'm a pretty good looking guy. I I'm pretty articulate. I think I got a good head on my shoulders, and I think I have a lot to offer. And I'm not trying to blow myself up here. It's just like I feel like I like I'm a good catch, and I find it really difficult to get anything going with the girls that I'm into. And I'm not. I don't feel like I'm batting for the fences necessarily. Like like I don't have low standards, but I don't feel like I have extremely high standards. Like I'm willing to compromise if it's someone that I really feel attracted to and uh you know more than just physically but also like we have something in common and stuff you know but it just doesn't seem to materialize to anything and it it makes me feel like well like are you guys not trying to get laid too like do you not have the same needs that i do like why why do why is it that women seem so content to just be single and not even give any thing a chance and it's just really frustrating I, i just find myself getting to a point where i'm feeling apathetic and i don't even want to bother with it anymore because, like, honestly, it really hurts to get, like, turned down, like, so many times. And um, when you put in your effort and you just get nothing out of it, um, not even, like, a date. Like, you can't even get to that point. Uh, it just may, it really makes you feel kind of small. And, like, what's the point, you know? And so I'm having trouble really, like, having um, any desire to, to keep doing this again. Because, you know, like, the whole Einstein thing about trying the same thing and you're going to be freaking insane. That's how I'm starting to feel. It's like, why bother when it seems like none of these women are interested in having any sort of relationship? Um, so I don't know, like what, what, and I know like people say, Oh, you know, it, you know, things come to you when you don't think about it or just do your own thing. And I tried, I try, I am trying that. Like I'm trying to, you know, just take care of myself and just, you know, go to the gym. I already, I already go to the gym anyway, but, to, you know, do things for myself and not focus on it, but I can't help but feel like there's like a hole, uh, you know, and then I'm trying to fill it. And I just, I want some intimacy and some, you know, some feminine attention. And so it's hard for me to like, just disregard that and pretend like it doesn't bother me when it does. And then it makes it even harder when it feels like all these girls like don't have the same feeling. Like I wish that I could just be content to not be in a relationship and not want to pursue women. I feel like I'd be fucking happier if I was asexual or something. Because it's driving me crazy that I, I'm getting nowhere. Whenever I'm interviewed about my job, this thing that I do, this crazy thing that turned into a career, people ask me like, what I know now that I didn't know then when I started writing the column or doing the podcast. And what I didn't know then was that writing the column, getting these letters, hearing from so many straight guys would make me feel so sorry for straight guys. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there who are expecting me to jump down your throat and tell you you're doing everything wrong and you have this – toxic masculinity problem or male entitlement. And what I'm getting though, and and the first thing that sort of welled up in me was 
sympathy for your plight. It's hard to get women into bed. It's hard. Pussy's a lot harder to get than dick. If you're gay, it is not hard to land some dick. If you're a straight guy and you want a relationship, you want intimacy like you do, it's harder to land some pussy. And responsibility for that lies at the feet mostly of straight guys. Women are a lot warier of just going for it than men are. Pussy's a lot harder to get because men are violent and dangerous. And the consequences of romantic or sexual choices that people make, straight people make, fall disproportionately out of the shoulders of women. Sexually transmitted infections, easier going from male to female, the risks of pregnancy, you know, that goes mostly one way or almost entirely one way. Intimate partner violence, rape, murder, that shit. There is a high bar that has to be cleared for women to feel comfortable with a dude. And that brings me to what I think you're doing wrong. I'm going to play a little bit of your call back to you. I just want you to listen to this sentence because I think it is revealing of the problem here. Things seem to be going well, you know, and then like I'll, it gets to a certain level where I'm trying to like make something happen, like let's go out, this kind of stuff, and, and nothing ever materializes from it. So things are going well. You meet a woman, you establish a rapport, you you establish a friendship, and then at some point you try to get something else going. You try to make something happen. You ask them out on a date. So what the woman concludes is the friendship was a lie, that it was a ruse, that you were being deceitful, that you were withholding your true intentions. And that can make a woman feel unsafe and insecure about who you are. And that gets everything asked backwards. You should, if you're attracted to a woman, start with that and be honest about it. Ask her out. Don't work your way into her life as a friend and then ask her out. Ask her out at the top. Ask her out at the start. That said, there are plenty of people out there who are in relationships that began as friendships. So that is something that can happen. It hasn't happened for you in the four times that you've attempted it. I think you're likelier to get into a relationship, likelier to get the intimacy you want if you ask women out that you're interested in. But it is possible that you could become friends with a woman for completely legitimate, attracted as friends reasons and then want to upgrade and maybe want to ask her out and see if these growing romantic feelings are reciprocated, mutual, shared. What you don't want to do if they're not reciprocal, if they're not shared, is drop that person as a friend. You want to stay friends with that person. You want to take that rejection and you want to cauterize the wound. You want to shut down, decide to shut down your feelings for them, your attraction to them. Tell yourself it can't happen, but stay friends with them. You know why? Because she has friends. And if you're in her friend orbit, who knows? She may have a friend who will see you at a party or see you interacting with her friend and be attracted to you. And she will say to her friend, hey, is he a good guy? Women are always checking in with each other about dudes because dudes are dangerous. Women trust other women when they vouch for dudes. And if some other woman comes along and is attracted to you and says to your friend, is he a good guy? She's likely to say, yeah, he's a good guy if you stayed friends after the rejection. If you bump into that person and she's with a friend and you go away and the friend asks the woman that you used to be attracted to if you're a good guy and you were shitty when she shut you down, you were a shit to her when you tried to get something going when you asked her out on a date and you didn't speak to her again or you threw some fit or you were angry, she's not going to vouch for you. She's going to say, no, no, he's a fucking nuts. You should stay the fuck away from him because – we were friends. He asked me out. I said, no, he blew up. He got really angry. Yeah. Scared me. Yeah. Don't, you don't want to go out with him. Don't date him, girl. 
That's what she'll say. All that said, one other piece of advice, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe there's something about your personality, about the way you come across that is threatening or intimidating or off-putting. Now, that's nothing I can diagnose. You have to be self-critical. You have to go to friends and ask them for their input. What am I doing wrong? I keep getting shot down in this particular way. What am I doing wrong? I'm telling you, you're getting the order wrong. Hey, let's be friends. Hey, want to go out? Getting that order wrong. Get on Tinder. Start with the going out and then see where it goes. But you might also be doing something else. Showing up to a second date in a MAGA hat or something that betrays bad judgment in so many different ways. Could be something you want to unpack with a therapist after you talk with your friends about what it is that you might be doing wrong. Because if you keep getting the same result, then something about your approach, something about the way you roll yourself out or the way you ask is turning women off. And you can get to the bottom of that. That is something that you can work on and repair and fix. You can be more self-aware and conscious and self-critical without being paralyzed by insecurity or self-criticism without lacerating yourself. So get to work. Do it differently. Don't make friends to try to get dates. Ask women out on dates that you're interested in romantically. Make friends with women that you would like to have friendships with. Grow your social circle. Talk to your friends about what you might be doing wrong. Ask for some constructive criticism. Talk through this with a therapist. At your university, I'm sure there's a counseling center. Talk through your frustrations with a counselor at your counseling center. And invite that person to be critical of your attitudes, your approach, whether there's any unexamined sexism in the way that you treat women that may be turning women off. And you can fix this. You will get a girl, the girl, some girls, if you take my advice. Hi, Dan. I am a very boring, vanilla, married, 30-something, straight girl in a, have the house, have the dog, the whole thing. The only thing that's kind of weird is that my husband and I have an open marriage. Um, Not because anything was wrong, just we kind of talked about it and decided, you know, it's kind of crazy to be together forever and never, ever do anything with anyone else ever. Um, So I told my friends about it. You know, they're all pretty chill, whatever, no big deal. Um, And, you know, I kind of agree with you that people should be out and, you know, not closeted about such things. So I told my mom about it, um, which ended up being a colossal mistake because she is freaking the fuck out. Like first when I told her, she, you know, was like, oh, you're, I'm so disappointed in you. You're sick and disturbed and you need help and blah, blah, blah. And now a couple days later, she just sent me this long stream of conscious email. Like there's no paragraph breaks or anything. It's just blah out on this page. Just all this crazy shit. Like I'm, I need to get a divorce. I have a sex addiction and an alcohol addiction and I'm going to lose the house and lose my husband. I'm going to die alone of AIDS and like just crazy shit that she, she wishes my, her, her dad was still alive. So I would have a positive male influence in my life. Like, I, like I'm laughing. It's not really funny. Um, it was actually really hurtful to read all these comments. I'm just laughing because it, it just seems so absurd and crazy. Like I was just not expecting this crazy reaction from her. Like she's not conservative. She's not religious. I don't know. I had no idea that me and my husband only having sex with each other was so important to her. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's where we're at. So now I, I feel horrible for having, you know, disclosed this to her. Like I feel like I ruined her life and 
now I don't know. I mean, should I just kind of let it lie? Should I try to talk to her again about it? Should I like try to buy her a book? Like, I just don't, <laughs> I just don't know where to go from here, where to, how to deal with families. And I don't like if she tells the rest of the family, then should I just be like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Like, maybe I'm just jaded from listening to your podcast for so long that I just thought this was pretty run of the mill, boring stuff. Wow. That was kind of a blast from the past. That was a mom having a freak out at her poly daughter in the style of a mom having a freak out at her gay son who just came out to her 40 fucking years ago. That's classic. Right down to the wish you had a positive male role model and a dad bullshit that the, the, the assumption used to be that, you know, if you had a shitty relationship with your father, that might make you gay when in actual fact, a lot of little gay boys had awkward relationships with their dads because they were gay. Not that those awkward relationships made them gay. Their dads could perceive that these kids were gay and didn't know quite how to respond or handle that or handled it badly. And that fucked up that relationship. So my God. And here comes your mother making the assumption that this crazy leap to you are only sleeping with other people. You're only in an open marriage because your dad isn't around to provide you with a positive male role model. That is some crazy shit. And the advice for you, is the same advice I give to people who come out to their parents as queer and their parents have this kind of tantrum-esque freak out. You tell her you will listen to all of her panicky, ill-informed, irrational bullshit for a year. You will answer any insulting questions. You will absorb whatever she throws at you for a year. You send her a few books more than two, opening up The Ethical Slut. She might have a problem with the title. I might want to skip Ethical Slut, but it's a really good book. You could send her Is an Open Marriage a Happier Marriage? The New York Times Magazine's terrific cover story by Susan Dominus from May 11th of this year and say this is a thing that people in loving, stable relationships sometimes do. And I'm doing it. This is what works for us. This relationship model works for us. Ethical non-monogamy works for us. A lot of people out there in marriages that are supposed to be monogamous who are unethically non-monogamous. We are ethically non-monogamous. This is what we want and this is how we're going to live. And then after that year is up, you tell your mother, it's over. I'm done answering stupid questions. <laughs> I'm done listening to you blow up at me with this shit. Go get a therapist to talk with this about and treat me with respect and treat my husband with respect and respect our marriage or you're going to see less of us and you're going to hear less from us. The only leverage you have as an adult over your parents is your presence. And you should tell your mother that you expect her to respect your choices and treat you lovingly as you will treat her or you're not going to be around. She's not going to see you. You're not going to put up with it. But yeah, sorry you're going through this. Sounds really familiar. I'm sure there's a lot of queer people out there listening who are like, uh-huh. Same reaction my mom had when I told her I was g g gay. So, hello, straight poly people. You have so much in common with gay people with this coming out experience and the assumptions and the prejudices and the reactions you sometimes get from family. Good luck with mom. They do come around, though. In my own personal experience, moms do come around. Hi, Dan. I have a question about, I guess, trans psychology. I knew this guy well she wasn't she she was or he was a girl when i knew him back in high school and he is a a female to male transgender um but he's dating a guy so 
does that make him gay? Or since he originally was a girl, does that make him straight? Does the same thing go, you know? Um, you know what I'm saying? Joining me in person to help field this question, because it's really, it's too complicated. It's above my pay grade. Buck Angel, motivational speaker, human rights activist, and man with a vagina. Buck. Right on. Oh my God, I'm in person with you. I know, How it's weird. so good. To, <laughs> you're somebody I talk to all the time on Twitter, but we've only ever been in each other's presence one or two times. We email, yeah. we text, but it's such a treat to have you here at the... Uh, Savage Incorporated Laboratories. No, it's really an honor. I just want to say before we move on, can I say something? Sure. I love you. I love you too. I am a, a big advocate of yours. I know that some of problems have happened in the transgender community around you, and I would really like for the rest of the world to understand this. You are not transphobic. You are, in fact, a huge supporter of the trans community. You have been nothing but an amazing person to me and to our community. So I just want people to understand this. The things that people have heard about you are wrong. They are from people who have an idea of how to control our community and our dialogue and our narrative. And what they're doing is they're making sure that they can do that by outing people who they feel in some way are speaking the truth. And you speak the truth and people are scared of the truth. Well, thank you for saying that. I knew you were in town. I knew we could finally get you in the studio That's in all. person. So I rounded up some of our trans questions. Right on. And I thought we'd start with a really challenging one. Okay. FTM, trans man, dating a man. Does that make <laughs> him gay or what? <laughs> so here we go with labels again. Right? <laughs> here we go with telling someone how they are. And I understand the question. And I, I appreciate the question because I think it's an important question. And if we don't answer these questions, whether or not they make us feel however, it's an important question. He is gay. Because when you transition from whatever gender to whatever gender, you are now in that gender. For me, for example, I used to be a woman and I transitioned to become a man. And that's how I live my life. So if I have sex with men, I am having gay sex. Whether my vagina doesn't come into play with that, it does, but it's not the basis of my sexuality. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that people are missing is that I identify as a man. So when I have sex with a man, it's gay sex. Are you having gay sex as a gay man? Um, no, I would say that I'm having gay sex as a bisexual man. Mm -hmm. So most definitely when I have sex, it's more bisexual, but I would say it's gay sex because it's man on man sex, right? Mm -hmm. So then we can get deeper than that. What is gay sex? Do you have to identify as a gay man to have gay sex? Or can you identify as a bisexual man and have gay sex? Or can it be bisex that two men are having together if they're both bisexual? Exactly. So what if two straight men are having sex together? Is that oh. gay sex? <laughs> That's, isn't that usually gay for pay and there's another dude in the room video recording the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, right. But what if, the, what if this man who's identifying as a straight man, he identifies, but he still wants to occasionally have sex with men? Is that bisexual or is can he still identify as a straight man i think he can i agree now yeah. back to this guy's yeah. cute charming naive question uh knew this person in high school when this person was a woman perceived to be a woman right uh coercively so labeled at birth as a woman right. whatever the whatever the lingo is uh when this person who is now female to male transsexual in same-sex relationships, mm -hmm. uh, is a gay man. Mm -hmm. When he knew that person in high school, when that person was right. living as a woman, when that person was living as a woman, if that person was at that time having sex with men, was that person straight? Was that straight sex? Straight. That's straight sex. 
I'm going to tell you what I'll get for sure. People will tell me no, but it's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is only my opinion and the way that I live. When I had sex with a man, when I was a woman, I considered that straight sex. Even though inside my body and my head, I felt male. It was uncomfortable. That's why it was uncomfortable for me Mm -hmm. because it felt like straight sex. So to me, that is straight sex because you're not really in the physical body that you feel like being in. Some people might think differently, but for me, if physical and mental are the same, are the things that sort of bring you around as a transsexual person Mm -hmm. or as a transgender person, I think those two things meeting together. You say transsexual and transgender and you make a distinction. Totally. What is that distinction? Because transsexual isn't a term that people are allowed to use anymore. (laughs) If you say transsexual, people will explode in your, a lot of anime avatar Tumblr turds will explode in a rage you yes you call yourself transsexual yeah i'm trans shame on them for shaming me for my identity <laughs> i'm gonna play that game <laughs> so, but, but what's the difference between a transgender person and a right. transsexual person? great question thank you so the difference between a transsexual person and a transgender is i'm a transsexual which means i was born female 100 percent born female and i had what we used to call a sex change to move over to become a man so mm-hmm. what i did is i transitioned to actually go from a woman to a man, binary. Mm-hmm. So, and, and had surgeries. I had my breasts removed and I, you know, continued to take testosterone. So I present as male. That's a transsexual person. A transgender person is somebody who lives under the umbrella of transgender. And also, and that could be anything from gender nonconforming to a they to a she, he to a he, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. But you're living under a transgender umbrella and you identify as trans. Mm-hmm. So that's a trans. I'm not transgender. I'm man. Who happened to have uh, lived my life as a woman. So when you were a woman, were you a woman? Or when you were a woman, were you really a man, but you had been coercively right. so labeled as a woman? Right. It's a dif- difficult thing because really, okay, let's just be real here. I was born female. Mm-hmm. My genetics say female. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of it. Of course, how I felt is totally different. I mm-hmm. felt like a man. But if you want to talk bio- biologically, biologically, biologically – female but yes. your gender identity was yes male or always male or it took always. you some time to like pick that lock and no. figure out that i was a tomboy I, I identified as a man it wasn't until puberty hit until mm. i was sort of forced into that whole you know that place of being female and really trying to be female so presenting to the world yes i was female mm-hmm. and most definitely i tried to reclaim that femininity by embracing it identifying as a lesbian dealing with my period dealing with all of those things that women but it just it was like a man trying to do that Mm -hmm. and that's why i eventually had to have a transition and change to a man in order to be that so you were born female you always felt like a man is this a distinction without a difference are you saying that all transgender people who actually transition are transsexuals because they went from one gender to another no no not at all not everybody does that not Mm -hmm. everybody transitions to the binary at all and Mm -hmm. that's i would say a more newer generation and why they call it transgender now Mm -hmm. the problem that i have is they're trying to say that the word transsexual is antiquated and it no longer exists that's not true I am a transsexual and there's millions of transsexual people in the world who want to literally go from male to female or female to male. Well, a lot of transgender people go from male to female. Yes, female but they male. do not identify as male to uh, that. They identify as trans. They don't identify in the binary. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between me and them. I don't identify as trans at all. Most people I know who are trans, uh-huh. uh, who identify as transgender and trans, yes. are kind of binary-ish. They did transition from one to the other. They so, are... Binary, 
ish is what you said, which is well, true. Well, they conversed about it. You know, I have but other trans friends who went from, yes. you know, being yes. men to being women. Yes. They didn't go from being men to being gender nonconforming. Exactly. Or, Those or I would consider, non-binary. I personally would say it was more transsexual. But mm-hmm. again, it's up to however you want to identify, right? But the point is we can't take the transsexual word off the table because it's still a word that does exist and still does identify many of us. But what's so great about now is you can identify however you want, but don't erase our transsexual history because that's not, I'm not okay with that because that is my identity. And to me, that is the difference. I had surgery. I complete, I literally live the world as a man with a vagina. That's totally, I do not live as a transsexual person. But that we need to ex- have that extinction between these, this and that. We're not doing that. And how is life as a man with a vagina? Amazing. <laughs> um, I can't. I can tell you. I'm so happy. I never got rid of my vagina. Really? Oh my god! No, I'm not kidding you. I, I live an amazing life as a man with a vagina. It really became my my the thing that wanted to make me kill myself for so many years and so much of my life has become the thing that has made me want to live. How is that possible? It's because I embraced it mm-hmm. as a man, and I said. This is not my identity. This is not the thing that really makes, makes me who I woman. am. Right. It's just a part of my body. And I was born with it. And I have to, it's like being born maybe with one arm or no arms. Or you, you have to eventually just deal with it and figure out how to have sex and figure out how to move through the world. And people aren't always going to be okay with it. But so what? Are people okay with you being gay? No. But does it bother you? No. You just move on and you teach the rest of the world that I'm a gay man and I'm proud. And fuck those people. And fuck those people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, Dan. So my best friend and fiance have a strange problem. He just came out to close friends and family as being transgendered. Uh, Since he still identifies as a male, I'm going to keep referring to him as a male in this call, just FYI. Uh, They've been together for three years, two of which is long distance, and they're getting married in a little over a month here. I know her really well since we've been friends for 10 years. I can tell she's kind of uncomfortable with this situation. She hides it well, though, and she jokes all the time that she wants to get a couple of kids out of him before he transitions. Me and him have become pretty good friends lately, so much so that um, he asked me to call him by his female name when we're alone together, which honestly is fairly often because we frequently hang out and he asked me to do his makeup and we shop for dresses and do quote-unquote girly things together all the time. When he told my best friend that he wants me to call him by his female name, he apparently burst into tears and wouldn't stop sobbing for over two hours. He isn't homophobic or transphobic or anything, but I can't help but acknowledge when they're when they started dating, fell in love, moved in together. She didn't sign up for this, and she's 100% straight, not even remotely attracted to women. I should probably also mention that he has had some depression, suicidal tendencies for years now, and he is on antidepressants. I talked to him last week about maybe if part of his depression was due to not feeling like the gender he actually was and having to masquerade as a male for all these years, and he told me yes. So help me, Dan. How can he be supportive of both of my friends? And I can see this relationship heading for absolute disaster. I feel like we have to do so much thought policing or we're going to get in trouble with the anime avatar Tumblr turds. She said transgendered. Yeah. It's not transgendered. Right. It's transgender. Right. She uses the male pronoun, although a lot of people are going to miss that she said that her friend who announced that yeah. he is trans is still identifying as male and is still right. his, himself using the male pronoun. Right. So it's allowed, although he's asked when they're together in private for her to use uh, his new female name, right? right? So a lot of people are going to blow up at those (laughs) granular particulars, but they aren't the point of the question at all. How do you handle this? I got a question recently. Let me give you this one first and then we'll do this one. Got a question recently from 
a straight guy whose wife announced that she was trans, mm-hmm. uh, came out as trans, was transitioning to male. And he was being pressured by his spouse and by their large kind of queer uh, and trans positive friendship network mm-hmm. to stay with who is the person who is now his husband, even though he is straight. And my attitude is if gender identity is so crucially important, gender is so crucially important when it comes to your identity, right. you can't then say it's irrelevant when it comes to sexual orientation. A hundred percent. So you're, you know, I would say to this caller, yes. your friend fell in love with and became engaged to this person when she thought he was someone that he wasn't. Yes. And so it's not like he, it's not like he committed fraud. Like he probably didn't know who he was either, but he's right. just figured out who he is right. and is coming out about it. And your friend can pull the ripcord. It's so complicated. And especially now where trans is becoming something that people are feeling a little bit more comfortable coming out. And mm-hmm. I see that is possibly what could have happened right here. Again, I want to say before I move on, it's my only, only my opinion on this situation, and it's not the say all And it's not thing. binding arbitration. It's just, <laughs> it's just my old trampa opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I personally think that they need to stop the marriage right now. Right now. It's done. Mm-hmm. You can't. She's straight. She's going to be marrying a woman now. That's not what she wants, and that's not for her future. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a complicated – and I'm not saying whether or not he should have come out earlier and he should have come out as this. He didn't know how to come out. And so now he, she is dealing with her own situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can't put that on to somebody else now. You have to take care of yourself. But a lot of people would argue that if you love the person that person is on the inside, that gender go. shouldn't matter. It matters. I'm going to tell you right now, it matters it, 100%. It does matter. It matters. If it didn't matter, people wouldn't be transitioning. Yes. And sexuality and your identity and your sexuality matters. Stop saying, I hate this. I hate this so much. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you, I hate this in this trans community. We have desexualized ourselves on such a level that is so dangerous. Why do you think there's parts of the community that doesn't like the way I speak about myself and my body? Because I speak about my sexuality and my vagina as part of me, as part of my, my and it is, my sexuality is part of it, and it's part of transitioning. Mm-hmm. So if we don't talk about this situation, that's part of their identity, how mm-hmm. they identify as straight and gay or however. I don't know how she the husband, the, the man who's changing to a woman now, I don't know how they're going to identify sexually. I have no idea. Neither does the woman. Mm-hmm. But the woman in this situation. I've, well, I don't know which women we're talking yeah. about now. But the, the, <laughs> the trans cisgender woman, woman. The cisgender okay, woman. Let's talk about the cisgender woman who's marrying a cisgender man. And the cisgender man is now transitioning to become a transgender woman. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't know now where their sexuality is. But we know for a fact, because she said, the cisgender woman identifies as a straight woman. But... A lot of people, what, what seems to float around out there in Tumblr land and like queer positive yes. circles is if you're with someone and they announce they're transitioning, the, to be supportive requires you to stay in that romantic relationship. That's not that true. I'm going to tell you right now that's not true because I'm 20-something years transition. I've been through many partners in my early transition, and I knew that they weren't comfortable. I could tell mm-hmm. because they were dating me as a woman, and I started to transition, and I started to become masculine, and they started feeling like they were losing their identity, mm-hmm. and I was totally understanding of that. And I don't want you to lose your identity. So if you're with someone and they announce that they're coming out as transgender and you can't stay in the relationship, how do you continue to be supportive? Right. That, 
that is also an awesome question. You're right. It's all about support. So why, first off, why would you suffer to stay in something that eventually is going to become a bad situation? How you support is you actually let that person go if it's not something that's going to work for you personally. But what you do say is, I really want to support you however I can do, however I can, I will be there for you. Mm-hmm. But to have a romantic, involved relationship isn't what That I'm moment when for. you first come out as transgender, though, when you talk right. to trans people, is right. so hard. It's so hard. And you're facing so much potential rejection. Yes. And it complicates your family relationships yes. and your workplace relationships and your friendships. Is that the moment you say, okay, I'm out? Or do you wait? Because that's so difficult. Do you, wait, do you like stay in the relationship right. and transition slowly out of the relationship right. over a period of All six of months? All of the above. Year? All of the above. Again, it's going to be a person-to-person thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be how our – I don't know how our relationship is right now or how it's going to progress, but I know I love you. I love you. I'm going to marry you. But right now you just told me something that is actually life-changing. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's like don't – the thing is, is I don't want people to take it that lightly. It's not lightly. It's life changing when you do uh, a transition. And not just your life and not, as a exactly. trans person. It changes the life of a romantic partner exactly. in such a profound way that they get to reassess whether they want to stay in the relationship. But, you know, if you're transitioning and you're just getting on hormones yes. and you're dealing with the repercussions of coming out as trans, then to get dumped on top of that at that precise moment. Yes. If I was with someone who was trans, I would really hesitate to dump them at that but you're not dumping them that's the wrong that's the thing that we're we're, that's the thing that we're not understanding here and i think that that the people out there who are going to argue what i'm saying right now are not Mm -hmm. understanding it is not dumping it is love to tell somebody that you love them so much or even me as a transsexual person to say i love you so much but i'm not sure if this is going to work out but let's see how this goes right now and let's know that this could be good or it could be bad but let's talk about it so we may not not be able to be romantic partners anymore but i'm still going to be there for you yes be beside you yes i will it doesn't mean dump them like i'm never going to see you again you're a weirdo and a freak it means i love you enough to find out let's figure out how this is going to work for us not our relationship is over but our relationship has changed Yes. And and a marriage may not be the right thing for our relationship now. Yes. And okay. that, let's be honest. We haven't answered the caller's question. <laughs> what can she do to support her yeah. friend who is transitioning and her friend who is engaged to her friend who is transitioning? To be honest and say exactly what she said to us right now, which is basically, I'm scared. I don't think this is the right thing. You're a straight woman. Is this something that's going to affect you? Let's talk about it. People don't want to talk about anything. Talk about it. Be That's a good friend. A good mm-hmm. friend is to come to you and say, I'm worried about this situation. And not because I'm transphobic, but because is how is this going to work out for And both she can of support you? her trans friend without telling her cisgendered female friend that she has to marry her trans yes. friend still. And support her trans friend without telling her trans friend she ought to marry you still. Yes, exactly. It's that easy. Like, it's just basically it comes down to honesty. Let's be honest about it. Like these are the things that are going to change. And it's a real thing. It's not transphobic. And that's the thing I've, that's happening in this trans community is everything is transphobic. If you don't, that's not true. Yeah, there are people in trans land, anime, avatar, Tumblr <laughs> turds, all of them, who argue that if your partner comes out as trans and you don't stay with them, that is transphobic and your partner's gender shouldn't matter. I had somebody get in my face once at a college speaking gig and stood up and very self-righteously asked me if Terry transitioned, if Terry told me that he was a woman. Okay. Or Terry told me that she was a woman. Right. And now I'm spelling Terry <laughs> in my head when I say it out loud, so, T-E-R-R-I, because I don't want right to misgender hypothetical Terry in any way. <laughs> that if Terry came out as a woman, uh, demanded to know whether I would stay with her oh. or not. And I said that I would not stay with her because I am 
a gay man. And this right. was waved over the head like a bloody shirt. Oh, evidence God. of my transphobia. And I was like, no, actually, it's kind of bank shots. evidence. It, it's affirming of his, <laughs> yes. her gender identity. Yes. Because if I stayed with Terry, T-E-R-R-I, after he came out as a woman, I would be saying, yeah, I don't think so. Not really. Right on. on some level, you're man enough for me still. Yes. And I'm a gay guy. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Our identity as sexual identity still plays into our gender identity. And they that's what these trans Twitter, whatever you're calling them, Anime, the Tumblr, Avatar, Twitter, Anna, Tumblr turns. that's what they're missing. They're missing that because they're cutting out our sexuality constantly. They are. They are desexualizing us. It does play a big part in our identity, and they need to stop saying that. What you, To me, that's the most loving answer you could give somebody. Right there, you love Terry at such a level that you're saying, I want you to be the happiest person in the world. I can't be in this situation because it's not how I identify, but I support you, I love you, and we're going to be best friends And forever. the answer is, I can't be with you, but I will always yes, be there for exactly you. That's exactly the answer. Right there, you just said it. That's exact, And that is not transphobic. That's actually loving <laughs> and caring. <laughs> So, Dan, in the text I've got for this Keith, uh, maybe I'm just an asshole for feeling like this, but, which is entirely possible. But does it strike, am I the only person that is struck by how strange it seems when, when callers call in and this kind of, I mean, it just seems so virtue signally that they feel compelled to go out of their way to insert that they are cis, you know, in their description, in their description, they're like, hi, I'm a 32-year-old male living in New York, cisgendered, like, you know, great that, that people are conscious of these things, and that, you know, but it's, it's sort of like saying I'm a non-albino, you know, <laughs> like, it, it is only 0.3 or roughly whatever percentage of the population. It's assumed you're cis, right? Like, not to dismiss or downplay or anything, you know, the trans community who obviously need our support and no more shit than they get from anyone already. But I don't know. It just seems like people do that. It's like they're trying to show off how virtuous they are and how liberal they are. I instantly like roll my eyes. I'm like, Oh God, here we go. And it's, and I'm wrong. Cause they're not always like that, but Am I crazy or is that just kind of like the reason they're saying that is not for the reason that they purport that it is? So he has two questions. Is he an asshole? Is he crazy? Buck? No, neither of them. We've been taught now again to label, label, label. And now we have to start labeling how everybody is. I sort of, in a sense, agree with him. It doesn't have to be always. You don't always have to say, I'm a cisgender person. That's, mm -hmm. I don't think that that's important. In certain contexts, yes, I do think it might be important. But I don't think people, we've now boxed in everybody. Why are we doing this? And the transgender community did that because I think my opinion is that they felt like they needed to label back on a way that was like, you're labeling us, we're going to label you. It doesn't come from a but loving space. Every letter I get, every call I get, Dan, even if they don't identify as cis yes. or trans, they will say, I'm straight, I'm gay. Right. And we don't even hear that, even though, right. you know, most people are straight. Do you have to say you're straight when 90-ish plus percent of everyone is straight? Right. Shouldn't straight, like non-albino, right. be the default setting? And yet everyone says, I'm straight or I'm gay. And that context is important mm -hmm. when it comes to answering the question because right. there's differences in gay and straight relationships. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to inform the question for the listener and the answer for me. Yes. Uh, 
And yet we don't have a problem with that. We don't even hear that. Right. And so is it just that cis and trans stick out right now because we've only begun to hear that for the first or only begun to hear those distinctions recently? And the caller's percentages are off. He says 0.3% of the population. Uh-huh. It's actually 0.6% of the population that identifies as trans okay. as more trans people come out in the last decade. Wow. In the last like literally three years. So <laughs> – so, uh, you know, it used to bother me. I used to perceive it as a kind of yeah. virtue signaling. It was only college campus kids and their letters would right. say that they were cis because they'd gone to their gender studies program and, they, and they'd learned to label themselves so as to not make other people who had labels applied to them or labels they embraced feel self-conscious about yes. having this label. They had to have their label too. And now it doesn't bother me as much or I don't notice as, it mu- as much. In the way it rankles this caller, it used to kind of rankle me. Right. In the same way, not that I have a problem. I, I call myself a sissy c-i-s-s yeah brilliant, brilliant. um I, I don't have a problem with it i didn't have a problem with then it just made me feel i would cringe on behalf of the person saying it because it seemed like they were attracting attention to their high-mindedness and and their right or that they, they they're now so politically correct they know the right terminology they were but, so gender woke yes exactly and that's actually i don't have a problem with it you can let you can call yourself whatever the only pro i don't even know if it's a problem the thing that I have with it is that now we're teaching people to say I'm cisgender before they say anything else. Really? Are we really at that point now where we have to just really be – I don't care that you call yourself a trans person. Go right ahead. I don't call myself a trans person. Why do I have to now tell, my, tell everybody that I'm heteronormative-looking, trans man, blah? No, this is ridiculous. I'm just a dude. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a trans dude, and it's important for other people out there who might be trans, who not trans. Because I'm an to, activist. To know so. that there are trans people in the world who are happy and healthy and yes, successful and I living agree. well. And if everyone disappears into their perceived femininity or masculinity, their perceived dudeness or right. broadness, right. then those people out there who are struggling won't know that there's a place for them in the world and a, and a path that you've helped yes. to illuminate if they don't know who you are. But I choose to do that. So those labels are that. important on some levels. On some levels, but I choose to do that as well as you do. You're mm-hmm. a very out proud gay man, as we choose to do. But not everybody wants to do that or needs to do that. That's my point. Not all of us have to say that we're all trans or we're all cis. I just, that's the thing is we need to say, if you're comfortable saying it, you should, but it's not mandatory. I feel like it's, become this mandatory thing to say you're cisgender now. I don't uh, – cl- clearly I don't have an issue with the cisgender thing. It's just why. I also think about that in parent land because you'll meet a lot of people who identify as gay parents, gay parenting organizations, gay parenting yes. groups and clubs. Yes. And I never hear people describe themselves as straight parents. Yes, We're exactly. straight parents. Well, almost all parents – are straight. Yes. So you don't have to qualify parent with straight. We qualify parent with gay because yes. we're a tiny percentage of the parents out there and we face unique challenges yes. and uh, we need sometimes the support and understanding of other people who face yes. those same challenges. So gay parent, gay parent organization, uh, out as a gay parent, blah, blah, blah. But you don't walk to the supermarket and say, hi, I'm Dan, I'm a gay parent. You don't do that. <laughs> and we also don't say to someone who just calls <laughs> themselves a parent that they're somehow making a homophobic right or taking a homophobic stance that if you that you are required to identify as a straight parent so i feel less self-conscious of, for identifying as a gay parent. yes and i need this qualifier to be who i am exactly and do you need the qualifier when who you are is pretty much who you're assumed to be that's my point like why now are we putting these more these these sort of ways that you have to be in order to be a part of. And if you don't be, do that, you're not. And that's why. But no why. one's harmed when it, you, you start slapping these labels all over people until they look like a NASCAR yes, car. Yes, exactly. No, no one's really harmed in the process. But this no. guy's made self-conscious. Yes. Because he reads into someone else using that label, uh, you know, yes. virtue signaling. He uses the phrase virtue signaling. Like yes. The person is saying, I am morally superior to you if you don't 
also throw the cis word around to describe That's yourself. because he must be around those people who are totally the Nazis. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> who are saying, you got to say that. I don't think we can use Nazis in this way anymore because we have too <laughs> right. many real Nazis rattling around. No, this, this is true, my friend. You're out. right. You're right. You're we right. used to talk about grammar Nazis. And yes. We don't use that phrase anymore because yes. we have actual literal we have fucking actual Nazis, Nazis in the White House. And then we're talking about cisgender and trans identity. Are you kidding me? We better be talking about like some serious stuff going on in this. Our trans community is completely insane. We are so infighting with each other over pronouns, yet we have Nazis in the White House who are going to slaughter us. They don't care that we're he, she, they. They don't care. All they care about is that we are freaks, and they will take us out. And we're worried over here about the usage of cisgender and trans. It is way deeper than that, my friend. And then we need to be scared. That's what I said after the election, that we have macro aggressions to worry about. Yes, we better be scared at such a level. Look, I'm scared, my friend. It's not funny. We're we're in a bad situation, yet we're sitting here discussing these words, which don't get me wrong, they are important, but they are they should not be the ultimate thing we are talking about. The thing we're most passionate about, or that our rage sort of Yes attaches itself to look at the way the director of Boys Don't Cry was attacked at Reed College in, in Oregon, and you just think where is that passion when it comes to things that, you <laughs> that know, maybe, maybe you felt Boys Don't Cry, which is a 20-year-old film, wasn't perfect in every possible way. It was important. It was groundbreaking at the time. Yes. But yes. when you're going to prioritize the things you're going to be that unhinged and angry about and that you're willing to put your bodies on the line for, yeah, maybe there's some bigger issues. Yeah, they're there. unfocused. That's why I'm telling you this right now. They're unfocused. Those people who are doing that are unfocused. They think what they're doing is activism. When it's not activism, you cannot go after our own. You do not go after our own. What that woman did with that, you do Have not. Have you been on Twitter? Uh, I just, no, Tumblr. I, I refuse to go even near any of that. It is insanity at such a level that we need to talk about that insanity. And I'm the one talking about it because I'm not scared. I'm not scared of any of those people. I'm not scared of any of that stuff. I know exactly what I'm doing. And you know what I do? I want to save our community. Straight listeners are completely lost. Point, they are <laughs> totally not privy sorry. to any of this bullshit no like to translate you know a quick primer or primer i never know how to pronounce that word for straight listeners there is a lot of policing that goes on uh, in queer spaces online with, uh, with queers attacking other queers for not being the perfect most yes. highly evolved version of queer yes. or whatever that it might be right now and right there's now. this never-ending sort of mow mowing and i'm sure mow mowing is not a word i'm supposed to use i'm sure that has some roots and some like horrible racist garbage there is this never-ending sort of uh, show trial, red guard, yes. Maoist, Stalinist crap going on yes. online where queers are just attacked by the queers, like the director of Boys Don't Cry, who's a queer non-binary person yes. who, whose name escapes me, directed that movie. It's a terrific movie. It was hugely important. It was being attacked by other queers because... Because what? Because they cast a cisgendered actor... 20 years ago. 20 years ago in <laughs> this role, which... Now makes we're getting zero two feet, sense. Makes zero sense, particularly because, you know, Boys Don't Cry is the story of Brandon Tina... Yes who was a transgender man who had no access to hormones, no access to top or bottom surgery. Mm-hmm. So if you cast a trans man in that role, what are you supposed to do? Put the tits back on? Right. And it would have made sense. You have to cast an actor with a name. And it's the reason why I will tell you that too. Casting trans actors just because it's a trans role. I have to always disagree with that. No, see, I, I would push back. I, I okay, think, good. I think it's important I, to cast trans people in trans roles. Always? Now, always? If at all possible. No, a hundred percent. And that makes total sense to me. But, but I think also as a filmmaker myself i understand sometimes you're not going to find that trans actor as much as i would love to Mm -hmm. sometimes you might uh, you can't 
take less of the film and understanding that the film can be more powerful with this per- with this great actor just to take this other actor because they're trans and it might not make the film as powerful. To me, the message of the film is that important. An actor can make or break a film. You know that. Mm. An actor can make or break that film. And that's why Boys Don't Cry is so important. And I don't care if it's a cisgender actor. That's the reason why that actor was amazing. And that actor won an Academy Award for that acting. That means something. That means, that is why that film got and out. That to actor that got up on the Oscar, you know, Hillary yes. Swank got up on the stage yes. at the Oscars and spoke to the lives and realities yes. and struggles of exactly. transgender people and, and, and their persecution. And exactly. That's important. called acting. And hopefully the next person <laughs> who wins an Oscar for playing a transgender role will be a transgender yes. actor. Like, and there we go. Pro- progress. So, buckangel.com. Yes. On Twitter, at Buck Angel. On yes. Instagram, at Buck Angel. You got your name wherever Everything. you went. You were Everything. there first. Yes, I was, my friend. I trademarked my name. <laughs> uh, Buck Angel, the man with the pussy. Uh, you were someone I wrote about 20 years ago. Yes. Um, and the first time I wrote about you in my column, it was like, what the fuck? Totally. Like, my jaw was in my lap. And I was just like, like I remember. circuits misfiring. Uh, and your reaction to that was to like get in touch with me. Yes. and talk to me yes and not to uh come to seattle and stab me in the no. face and then look at we're fucking we're fr- we've been sorry we've been friends ever you can since. say fucking we've oh, been fucking friends. we haven't <laughs> been friends who fuck but <laughs> no that ain't gonna happen but at the same time <laughs> no because that's the kind of person you are and when i say that people well no and that's the kind of person you are because uh, i don't think that the first time i read about you was particularly uh, no kind. it wasn't it, nice it wasn't and it, that's okay and that's okay, but you didn't understand. I don't take offense to that at all. And it was, I, a, it was a long time. It was like it 22, was 20, 23 yeah, years ago. It was ago. a long time ago, but you were gracious enough to have a conversation. And with I me. was, even though I, I, you know, I had trans friends, I was still in that point where I thought everybody who was trans had had bottom surgery. Right. And so to, to, to have a trans person making porn who yes. hadn't had bottom surgery, it just, I couldn't comprehend it. It did not compute. Also and as a gay where, man. And that's and where my, that's where what I wrote came from. And yes. you were like, perfect. You came to me and said, yes, let's talk. You stupid faggot. <laughs> and you were like, okay, <laughs> right on. You're awesome, dude. And, the, and you're awesome too. And you've been such a great resource to me and my readers and listeners over the years. And thank you. Right on. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I am calling about episode five, five, eight. Uh, the guy with the question about why he and all of his friends seem to have a related foot fetish. Uh, I can't really say why they're clustering together, but what I can say is that if you look carefully at a map of the sensory part of the brain, the part that processes information from different parts of your body, you will notice that the part of your brain that registers sensation from your feet is directly next to the part of your brain that registers sensation from your genitals. Um, And since electrical spillover or neurosensory spillover is a real phenomenon where one part of the brain can get so excited that it excites its neighbors, uh, that could well be the explanation as to why foot fetishes seem to be so common and seem to be so universal and who knows how they find each other. Hey, Dan. uh, Just got done listening to the most recent episode with the kinky gay Marine. Fortunately for him, I am a sacco in the Marine Corps. That's a substance abuse control officer. I'm the person who directs those piss tests. Now, this might be command-dependent because there's actually not really a regulation on male chastity belts in our manual. That being said, he's probably fine. You can, as a male, take a piss test while sitting down if you decide to poop during it, which people occasionally do just to screw with the people who are on cock watch. If I were him, I would just 
do it. Uh, he also probably knows roughly when those piss tests happen. They always happen after certain major events, i.e. 96-hour weekends, because that's when people do drugs. So if he can get around his kink by unlocking himself during those times, and then for the couple times during the year when he might get a random piss test, just dealing with it. He'll probably kind of weird out whoever's looking at his dick. But again, this is a guy who's going to be looking at dicks all day long. Not a whole lot of weird shit that will really surprise him very much. Hey, Dan, I'm calling in response to the caller in episode 558 who lost his partner suddenly at a young age and is struggling to date again. Um, I actually went through a very similar situation. A man who'd been my long-term partner for seven years, whom I was still very close with, died three years ago. I just want to let him know that as I began dating again after that, I actually found that a few of the guys I dated were totally okay with talking about it. Um, maybe due to their own difficult experiences they had gone through in the past, or they were just naturally kind people who could empathize with me. You might find the gentle guy who's happy to have those inevitable conversations when they come up, which they will, while still experiencing the romantic intimacy you need. And don't be afraid to open up. It's part of your story now, and like Dan said, the grief doesn't ever really go away. But what will happen is you'll become a lot more comfortable having those feelings alongside the really positive new experiences and new love and new friends that you're going to have. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Buck Angel on Twitter at BuckAngel. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.